Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. This podcast is one small part of a larger platform I've created dedicated to offering reflections on Islam, life, and mindfulness. I encourage you to visit makingsenseofislam.com to find a wide selection of articles, videos, other podcast episodes, and most importantly courses designed to distill the complexities of Islam's intellectual heritage into usable and practical tactics and strategies for day-to-day life. I'm also active on Making Sense of Islam social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, where you will learn about what's new and what's in the works. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Sheikh Mohammed al-Ninui. Sheikh al-Ninui is one of the Muslim world's most recognized scholars. He began his studying career with his family in the city of Aleppo, Syria, and he culminated, or his journey also took him to Al-Azhar University in Cairo, Egypt, culminating in a PhD. Sheikh Ninui is also a medical physician. Maybe many people don't know that. He currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia, and he is the founder of Al-Medina Institute, which, as you will see from our conversation, has branches that seem to be in almost every part of the world, the Western world and the Muslim world. I have long followed Sheikh Muhammad's journey, his lectures. Uh, I love listening to him. I always benefit from him. And this is a unique opportunity. I really want to underscore this is a unique opportunity for people that are interested in studying Islam at a very deep level, people that are interested in the mechanics, in the deep study of Islam, as I call it, on my platform, on the Making Sense of Islam platform. There's a unique opportunity to get a glimpse into the mind and the life of a scholar, how a scholar looks at issues, particularly in this case with Sheikh Muhammad, uh, being an expert of hadith, being heavily influenced uh, as I am by the Al-Ghumari family uh, of Tangiers, uh, Morocco, which we talk about extensively. Uh, so this is a, a treat. It was a treat for me. I'm very thankful to Sheikh Mohammed for giving me the time that he gave me. And I want people to pay attention to what he says because almost every sentence he, he drops is, is truly a gem of advice and a gem uh, and a map forward for people that are interested in taking their deen seriously. Please enjoy this conversation with none other than Sheikh Mohammed Ninawi. Sheikh Ninawi, welcome to the show. Jazakumullah khairan barakallahu fikum. Wa fikum. I've been waiting to do this for a long, long time. Alhamdulillah, I've been following you for many, many, many years. Uh, and I'm blessed to have gotten to know you over the last few years. And even more blessed uh, that I was able to teach at Medina uh, Institute. Inshallah, we'll get to Medina uh, shortly. Uh, one of the things I've been wanting to ask you uh, for a long time is I know it's, all, it's well known that uh, you're one of your main teachers, your early influences was your father, uh, radiallahu anhu. Uh, I also know that later on you went to Cairo and, and you studied at Al-Azhar. And I would, I'm very curious to know the difference between those experiences. You're growing up in a household of, of ilm, uh, studying as a young child uh, under the tutelage of your father, Versus going to you know this huge madrasa with you know dozens and dozens or hundreds and hundreds of teachers and the hustle and the bustle of Cairo and all of that. I'm very curious to know the the difference. The reason I ask I want to ask you that is because it's very similar to the path of somebody like Sayyid Abdullah ibn Sadiq al Ghumari, who I know is one of your teachers, who whom I also want to ask you about. 
He studied with his family in, in Tangiers and then ended up in Cairo. So I'm very curious to see what that experience was like for you. First of all, I really want to thank you for this. And uh, I'm honored and blessed personally to uh, have been in your company. And I look forward to being in your company even more. Alhamdulillah, I learned a lot and I look forward to learn more, inshallah. Um, you know very well uh, the uh, traditional families who are rooted in religious, religious traditions, they have expectation uh, from their children, uh, religiously speaking, regardless what path they take in, in life, let's say, uh, in, in let's say what we call so-called secular knowledge, though there is no such thing per se, but whatever line you take in secular knowledge, there's an expectation for you on the religious knowledge aspect. And one of them, obviously, starting with the memorization of the glorious Quran and then studying then the various ulum. I was blessed to uh, be born in a family that was very Hanafi in its uh, orientation to the point that was almost maybe uh, eventually when I was when I was blessed to meet some of the Azhar Shiuch, uh, they told me that was a bit rigid Hanafi views, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Al Azhar, maybe I can go that some of the Azhar Shiuch have had the influence to broaden my horizon, uh, but uh, I was uh, I grew up in a very Hanafi, strict Hanafi family in many ways, uh, father to grandfather, uh, also very traditionally Sufi family uh, that have taken the school of Ihsan. And I want to say that that's what I mean by Tasawwuf. I mean by that Ihsan, you know, the school of Ihsan in the moderate way that it is, uh, the book and Sunnah based Ihsan, love basically. Uh, and uh, that was an expectation sort of that you have to grow. So I was blessed to grow up in, in that family. And then my father, Allah have mercy on him, on his soul, and all the all the shiuk mm -hmm. who have passed, pushed me to go and seek knowledge, let's say, in with different shiuk in Hanafi fiqh. And actually, he actually told me to also uh, go and seek knowledge in the Shafi'i fiqh at that time, which was my first exposure to the Shafi'i fiqh with the with the Sheikh Adib Hassoun, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his uh, masjid, Maysaloon, I remember, who is the father of the current Grand Mufti of Syria. Oh, okay. And right. he had a, uh, on Wednesdays uh, and, and Sundays, if my memory serves me best, now, but that was like 40 years ago or so, uh, 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 Al-Hikam, though he was Naqshbandi in his uh, path, but also Shafi'i fiqh. So that was also there. Uh, it was common, I remember, in, in the family gatherings, for example, to have uh, things between my father and uncle, Allah have mercy on both of their souls, uh, competition with other uh, members of the family. Uh, let's say to start with Surah Al-Baqarah and go, Ya ayyuha ladina amanu, which is the first ayah. And then Ya ayyuha nas, like that, sort of that kind of competition, which requires a sort of photographic memory of the verse. And if you skip one, then you're told sort of uh, things. Uh, so that was a common, that was a common thing. The other common thing, to be honest with you, was nasheed. Uh, and we never sat in a majlis where the praise of the Prophet 
was not mentioned in some kind of nasheed by someone who's sitting. All right, I, I, uh, and, and sometimes it's not just the, a new person who has mastered a qasida or mastered the line of poetry, but also a meaning of a new poetry for, let's say, Ibn al-Farid or, uh, or Ibn Arabi or Sidi Boumedian or other of those uh, uh, kibar. Uh, that, all right, there's a meaning, ma'na latif, ma'na, a good, nice meaning. And that was a center of conversation. Uh, obviously, the, uh, the, uh, the being in Aleppo, and Aleppo was the cradle of knowledge. It was sort of um, the connection between the Ottoman, uh, geographically speaking, between the Ottoman Empire at that time, let's say, and, and maybe the beginning of the Arab world. And it had lots of, so we were really influenced a lot by the Ottomans, to be honest with you, especially in Aleppo, mm. in Northern Syria. It's, that's why you see most, though there's a significant minority in Aleppo that's Shafi, but most of it is really Hanafi. Mm. And then you also see obviously the Maturidi Aqidah rather than the Ash'ari, for example. Interesting. And then you also see uh, some uh, uh, Ottoman sort of influence the Sawwuf. The Khalwati Tariqa, which is obviously one of the biggest ones in Egypt. And I yeah. was, I had the, the honor and the blessings to be deputized in it by Sheikh Abdul Aziz Al Jamal, the Grand Sheikh of the Khalwati Tariqa in Egypt, in Al Azhar. Allah have mercy on his soul. I'm actually legally deputized in Egypt uh, with that Tariqa. But the Khalwati Tariqa had, while it was in Egypt, and it was, if you remember also, the Khalwati path was sort of like the Mashaykh uh, Al Azhar or Shuyukh al-Azhar's path, right? Yeah. From Sidna Sheikh al-Dardir, Rahmatullahi alayhi, Sidna Sheikh Sibai, Rahmatullahi alayhi. These Akabir, they were Khalwatis, right? And even up until, uh, even then, Al-Kawthari, Rahimahullah, who came. Uh, the current uh, Sheikh al-Azhar, Sheikh Ahmed Tayyab, his father is the Sheikh of the Khalwatiyah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So it was sort of like a tradition, but also it was maybe between Egypt and Turkey. Though mm. it is Egyptian, but it's the Turks also have taken a the Ottomans. Let me put it this way: they have taken a liking to that to that uh, ilmi based approach to to tasawwuf and ihsan, mm. and uh, that's common and and uh, you know there as well in Aleppo, the Maulawi, etc. So you see these things, and that's the environment that I um, grew up in, uh, and, and Alhamdulillah, and Allah Taala have mercy on on the uh, parents uh, and the grandparents. I didn't meet my grandfather. He had died long ago, long before I was born. But uh, the family was, the religion was part, was day in and day out, as mm. far as either new things in fiqh that, that, that they want to talk about or, uh, or mas'alas here, mas'alas there, etc., etc. So I, I'm thankful to that. And that obviously um, helped build who I am. Eventually, obviously, when I was exposed to Al-Azhar teachers and uh, scholars and all that, it's a much wider. Remember, Egypt is not called Ummud Dunya for no reason, all right? Egypt is so the mother of the dunya, the mother, right? And, and that is rightfully so, especially when it comes to Islamic knowledge. And the reason for that is it, it all comes from there or somehow is connected through there. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it, it really opens and broadens your horizon much more than just one way versus another. And uh, you start meeting all kinds of things. It's sort of like the clash of knowledge, mm. which, which enriches a student. 
it, it doesn't really cause a conflict. It actually enriches. Uh, there's ilmi. There's uh, enrichment in knowledge. And uh, the uh, Egyptian um, uh, attitude is usually mild and moderate and accommodating too. Uh, and you see that seldomly. To be honest with you, I always found that Syrian scholars, not everybody, but were much more, uh, not as maybe uh, welcoming of, 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 of maybe diff some differences, you know, in general. You see the Azhar uh, and e Egyptian scholarship because, again, of the traditional maybe 1,000 years uh, of, uh, of, of teaching and having all kinds of things going through there, uh, you see there's a much more, uh, I'll say, uh, welcoming of, of, of more differences uh, in views and all that. So uh, it, it's really different, obviously, uh, uh, from uh, traditional approach to more established uh, uni university or more like curricula-based uh, approach. So I think that's different. And then... Uh, after, uh, let's say, finishing the PhD in Islamic studies, uh, you look also from a different perspective. It's a totally different thing on uh, also what's expected of you. To be honest with you, every phase of the student's knowledge or every phase of seeking knowledge is really different. And you know, uh, a PhD in Islamic studies is really just the beginning, like our shuyukh would say, it's the beginning of seeking knowledge. So um, in the West, maybe it's considered scholarship. To our scholars back in Egypt and in Syria, well, welcome to being a student now. Congratulations. <laughs> you, we, you just received some keys to start. Yeah. So it sort of humbles you. Yeah. And, and also, let me put the final thing. Obviously, I was with you or you were there uh, when with Sheikh Ali when I when I met him, and he is one of the encyclopedic people, which really puts you sort of, you know, you, in an awkward position because, you know, I mean, okay, you've read many books, you've heard many books traditionally and, and, and in an establishment sort of a curricula basis. And then, you know, there are books you've never heard of and there's some <laughs> person who just walks and spits the names out like, yeah. like he read them last night. So yeah. that... It's still, and that's why I said, that's why I said, again, a whole studying, even at a, after having finished a PhD in Islamic studies, it really humbles you with some of the encyclopedic scholars that exist uh, still until today, which is, in a sense, uh, amazing. So, so Sheikh Ninui, after your time in Egypt, is that when you went straight to the U.S. or did you go back to Syria for some time? No, I did not go back to Syria. I went back and forth from the West back to Egypt and other Muslim countries, such as Morocco mainly. And that, that also built my relationship. From that, from maybe the 89s, I started going to Morocco. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and I started sort of uh, getting to know some of the Rumari schools and some of the Kittani, Kittani Mashaykh and other scholars in Morocco. And Were that those... also shaped, sorry, that shape, that, that re, that's another shaping entirely. Did you meet the, the Romeris while you were studying in, uh, in Cairo? No. That came no, later? I did, yes. Okay, okay, mashallah. But so... I, had, I had the honor and the pleasure to serve 
uh, on few, many occasions actually, the wife of Sidi Sheikh Abdullah radiallahu anhu, Hajjah Mahfouda rahimahallah, who was an Egyptian, and uh, she used to actually call me, and I would used to call her mama. Mm. Uh, you know, she would say Yabni, and I would call her your mama, Zayka mama, Zay Sahetik, and all this. She's an Egyptian, she's the wife of Sidi Abdullah. Uh, she passed away also, and she used to live in Hilwan, uh, about an almost two hours south of Cairo. We would take the train and, and all that, I remember. And I think Sheikh Ali, Moulin Sheikh Ali, was, uh, he maybe furnished or helped, helped, or he was half owner or owner of the apartment yeah. she was living in. And, uh, and I, so I used to go there to see her, actually. And from the karama that I can tell you that this blessed woman, blessed Egyptian woman of the wife of Sidi Sheikh Abdullah had, towards the end of her life, she looked like Sidi Sheikh Abdullah. Wow. I know. She, and she had his jubba on the wall <laughs> in, her, in her living room. <laughs> and she never, every time I visited, I used to go with an Egyptian uh, engineer who's a student of mine there. To her because it's a long way so i would take him with me and we would talk and um every time she refers to him she says Lustad, see Lustad. Mm. you know she doesn't refer to him by his name mm. unbelievable adab. I, I, so that's yeah uh, so you but you also when you were in morocco you did meet with Sayyid abdullah so yes and his brothers of course, I met with Sidi Abdullah more than one time, especially in 93, few months before he passed away. Uh, yes, in fact, I went actually to see him in the hospital once, and I uh, met him before that, obviously, a couple of times uh, mm. as well. And uh, I also sat in one of many, actually more than one uh, of his sessions in the Zawiya in Morocco as well. Uh, with Sheikh Mustafa al-Baqali, who's still there today. MashaAllah. Uh, yes. And uh, then I also met Sidi uh, Sheikh uh, Abdelaziz, rahimahullah. And I also obviously met extensively uh, with uh, Sayyid Ibrahim, rahimahullah, ibn Siddiq. And uh, he... Uh, uh, has a foreword on, on one of my one of my books for me. Uh, he was the head of the Kulliyat Usul Din Qarawiyin. Uh, yes, uh, Doctor Ibrahim Rahimahullah. Also, Sidi Sheikh Hassan. Uh, I, obviously, I've met with him, and he had also appointed me, and then the others as well. They gave me an ijazah mm. and the and the things and all that, even including the. So I, actually, I just remembered that over Ramadan, this past Ramadan, uh, I was tasked with writing a biography of Sayyid Abdullah. Um, it's, it's about uh, 12,000 words uh, for a project. I, I'd, love, I'd love to share it with you. But the reason I mention it is to prepare for that, I read extensively uh, a couple months prior into the family. Now, of course, I, you know, I grew up hearing the name Abdullah bin Siddiq and, you know, the family, and I just know, you know, the highlights. But when I, when I dove into the, the history of this family, I was really overwhelmed. I mean, this is a family of um, not just of knowledge, but, you know, Sayyid Abdullah's father was like a mujahid, you know, trying to fight the French and the Spanish in Morocco. 
Sayyid Ahmed himself, uh, Sayyid Abdullah's older brother, was thrown in a Spanish jail for trying to resist. And you know, these were very, very dynamic figures. Um, I think that for the modern student, you know, for my generation, who unfortunately I never got to meet Sayyid Abdullah, you know, he died in 93, I believe. I, mean, I was yes. just, you know, a young high school student. I wasn't even thinking about these things. But for my generation, I think we forget the, the other aspects of those people's lives. I mean, Sayyid Abdullah's life was very, very full of great tragedy. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, I'm so humbled and so ashamed of myself when I read about his tragedy. Uh, you know, when he was in prison, he wrote 25 books. <laughs> From memory, right? And I'm, and I'm, what's my excuse? You know, what am I doing? Uh, what, 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 I have all of the technology that I need, you know, and he's in, he was, he, he found paper and pen and he found light and he just started writing. <laughs> so uh, you said that, you know, going from Syria, from Halab to Cairo was a, was a change. Um, uh, I understand that change, but can you help me understand this other change of meeting the Ghomari family and, and how what that meant for you? Because, you know, Azhar is very, as you said, very wide and very diverse and accepting of other opinions. And uh, what, what was that like going from Al-Azhar to, to, to meeting that family? Um, uh, the Ghomari family, all seven brothers are their own schools. Hmm. And, and that, that's mind-boggling in a sense. Hmm. It's like an ocean. And every one of them, the seven brothers are not really one school. Everyone, their own schools. And it, it took me a long time. I met Sayyid Abdul Hay as well once, rahimahullah, which is an usuli of another caliber also. And everything, it, it's a totally different, different experience. And it's really overwhelming. Uh, and the beauty of it, I think, like any other school of, of ilm, uh, this one is unique in two things. The science of hadith with tasawwuf. Hmm. And that has not really been emphasized since the suyuti, rahimahullah, in a sense, more or less. Al-Munawi, hmm. okay, you can say, but I mean, in that, in that real, uh, real, real uh, uh, connection, uh, Sidi Abdullah out of all of them is the most beloved to my heart and they're all great and you know obviously it's our hope our wishful thinking but a lot of people uh, are, you used to consider him among the abdal you know he, he was a walking like a wali of Allah Azza wa we hope and we think so and Allah is the generous sure. one that gives um the uh, Ghumaris were, were primarily, not all of them, but primarily in Hadith, despite some of them being in Usul, like Sayyid Abdul Hay was Usuli, but Hadithi. Sayyid Hassan was a Faqih and Lughawi. Actually, he was Ikhwane. Sayyid Hassan is probably the most linguistic out of all his brothers, yet he's also Hadithi, right? Sayyid Abdullah, Jami' Bain al Ma'qul wal Manqul. He combines it. The, the linguist, the intellectual sciences were the textual sciences. The Sayyid Ahmed, textualist of the finest degree. Uh, Sayyid Abdul Aziz, a textual muhaddith and Sufi of the, of the most deep caliber, sort mm. of. Um, so they all have their own sort of uniquenesses. But one thing that was unique was hadith. And uh, why was that so important to me at that time? If you remember in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, 
with all the respect, it was the high among the high points of the uh, of the Salafi movement dominance. And mm. obviously, I come again, no hate from my side. It's it's just differences in views. Uh, but um, uh, the focus was so much on hadith. And to be honest with you, our traditional schools were more usuli based and not hadith based as much. Yani, yani obviously, in mantiq, the fiqh, the usul fiqh, all that. When it came to hadith, the foundation was not as it was, it, it, it needs to be to meet the challenge. Not that it was not good. No, no, it was. But the, because the traditional school, uh, looks at hadith is for the scholars, not for the beginners, hmm. uh, right? And for the beginners, you go through the mutun and the texts and the hawashi and the things, and then you get to the to the fiqh of hadith before you get to the yani fiqh nas. But hmm. the Salafi movement started teaching people al-hukm al-nas before fiqh nas anyway, and how do we judge and classify the text? Hmm. And also to a point where, where you discredit everyone who disagrees. Not to a point. That was the point. That was one of the points hmm. where it was so exclusionists, and it really sent shock shock waves at that time in the late eighties and the nineties to many of the students of knowledge, and I was one of them. And hmm. I was looking for answers, and I knew I I knew better, but I didn't know how to substantiate uh, the manhaj of Ahl Sunnah properly through a hadith. And the reason for that is hadith became much more emphasized than the Quran itself. In fact, the whole thing was riwayat much more than the book of Allah Azzawajal itself. Hmm. And the ummah today fights on narrations. They don't fight on the book and the interpretation of the book. They, find, they fight over the narrations that they think is as authentic versus not authentic. So the I think the Umari school came in a in a time where uh, yani, uh, some of the people who were working in hadith at that time, Sheikh al-Albani, rahimahullah, for example, others, uh, were thought to be unopposed almost as poles of hadith, sure. which was not really true. There yeah. were many muhaddithin in Egypt that were just not famous uh, enough in the, in the media at that time or in the social media at that time. Uh, they were not paid to publish their works. Uh, and or they were not given a platform. To be honest with you, with conferences that were financed or or CD or or, or cassettes at that time that were that were there. It was. It's not easy to publish a book. It's not. It's expensive, and um, I, I think the Gumari scholars at that time they they about every hadith you see their books. You see the books of Sidi Abdullah sometimes and Sidi Ahmed even. Uh, you know sometimes they're 50, 60 pages, but it's about a hadith. Here's a hadith. Here's <laughs> right. Boom, 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 yeah, boom. Yeah. And to me, that 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 was an extremely important opening to substantiate the manhaj of Ahl Sunnah that has been there for the past 1,200 years or 1,300 years. That that some people, with all the respect, who were very exclusionist uh, to the point of intellectual terrorism, I'll call it. Yani al mm. fikri, because it was anathematizing the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anathematized doing takfir of the mass of the ummah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's one thing to, I welcome disagreements. I don't have a problem in disagreements, even if I think it's really balala or it's wrong and misguidance. Meaning, all right, you disagree. This is my view. This is your view. But 
uh, Allah is the judge. Uh, but when it becomes exclu exclusionist and it becomes takfiri and becomes what I call verbal violence, unf qawli, then it's seriously problematic. And growing up, going to the West, not in the East, not in, uh, in Egypt or in Syria or in Morocco, but in the West, when I came to the West, Europe and the US, I saw young kids declaring their parents kuffar mm. because of a fiqh issue like, like, like tawassul mm. or of a... Um, of a tasawwuf issue that is disagreed upon at best. Uh, and that was very alarming. And the Umari school, I think, uh, helped me, number one, uh, adopt a much more critical approach on hadith, uh, number one, because it's a school of naqd hadithi. Mm. Uh, it's a critical school, school of hadith critique. Uh, also, uh, prioritizing the sunnah as well. That was very important. Uh, and also... Uh, uh, looking at the differences in, in hadith, in hadith uh, variations, wordings, etc., and judgment. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, I think their service to the ummah is tremendous. And, you know, like Imam Malik said, you know, everyone, uh, everyone is accepted from and rejected except the Prophet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the, that's the beauty of scholarship. You, you brought up a lot of emotions, Sheikh Nunawi, the 80s and the 90s. I want, I want to get to that. That's one of the main things I want to ask you. But just to go back to something that you said to underscore the, the challenge of the Salafi movement at that time. I mean, it even claimed one of the Ghomeri brothers, uh, Zemzami, who yes. I was shocked I, I, in my research, shocked <laughs> that after all of his troubles, Sayyid Abdullah, you know, he ends up in Tangiers and his like his new enemy is is his brother, you know, who's very and, and alhamdulillah he he made tawbah at the end of his life and you know nahtasab and you know Allah accepted his tawbah and all of that, but uh, it was interesting that I was trying to how could this family you know end this one one son end up like this, and when I read. Um, uh, I think it was Sayyid Abdullah's autobiography. Uh, he was saying, you know, when we went to Egypt, my, my younger brother Zemzami, he attended, I think, one or two years of classes. And then when our, when our father passed away, we had to go back to Tangiers. He went back and he stayed. And it was almost, uh, it's like the sim it's a similar cycle where, where a lot of these people actually don't study. They don't go through the whole program. They don't, they don't, they don't finish. They don't, they don't sit with the mashaykh for long periods of time and, and get their ijazah. They get a little bit. And as you said, the overwhelming um, money to support a lot of these early publications at the time in the 80s and the 90s was so strong that it, it, it kind of yanked a lot of people, a lot of talent. Um, and when I was a young you know, high school student, I mean, my, my background is nothing near, near yours, uh, but I, I remember being pulled in that direction as well and, and, wanting, and wanting answers. So, Sidi, do, can I, do I understand you correctly that when you were in Azhar, your focus wasn't, <coughs> it wasn't, it wasn't really until you met with the Ghumaris? It was usul, but it was traditional usul, with all the respect. It was not naqd hadithi as much. Mm. It was ilm al-mustalah. You know, today, with all the respect, most of the universities, when they teach hadith, it's really mm. mostly a mustalah. Mm. It's the technicalities rather than, I would say the Gumari school was the lab of hadith sciences, not yeah. the theory. And the lab, they put you there with the books and they, and, and you know what? Go through this book and do takhrij and let's see what you've done. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's it. So it's lab versus just a mustalah. And, you know, so yes. 
And uh, do you know Abdul Mu'min now? I think he's Abdul Aziz's son. He's the head Sayyid, of the I have met Sayyid Abdul Munam, I think. Munam, you sorry, mean. Munam. Yes, I have met him uh, a couple of, more few times I've met him. Uh, I've also uh, been close to Sayyid Muhammad Ali, Dr. Muhammad Ali bin Siddiq, who's the uh, professor of Hadith Sciences at the Al-Qarawiyin University uh, in Morocco, who's the son of Sidi Hassan. Oh, mashallah. Yes, and he's also active. Uh, but I have not been to Tangier since the passing away of Sidi Abdullah Tlidi. Abdullah Tlidi was one of the uh, uh, students, main students, him and Sidi Muhammad al-Baqali. Mm. Uh, mm. Both of them were one of the main students of the, the, yani the big, the very big students of, uh, of the Rumari schools. And I have not been there, though I've been to Morocco, but I have not been to, the, to Tangier since. Somehow... You know, after the passing of these great people who used to be the lights of Tangier, and Tangier will always have lights, but you know, there's an emotional sort of thing. So, Subhanallah. Well, after after our conversation, Allah, I'd love to send you what I wrote and get your feedback uh, on the on this biography of the Sayyid Abdullah. And if you have anything to add, that would be that would be a great uh, great opportunity. What year did you first come, Sidi, to the U.S.? Uh, Eighty nine. I first came. First came, mashallah. Yes. And was this idea to, to study medicine, was this something that was always part of your plan or is this something that developed over time for you? No, actually, to be honest with you, it's one of the <laughs> Ghomari influences. Interesting. <laughs> uh, at that time, I, I had asked, what, sh- what should I do? Because... At that time, in the early, in the late 80s, early 90s, saying the word, I am Ashari, meant equally that you are Mushrik. Mm. And I'm not telling you that as, a, as a, an exaggeration. I was called that simply because I said, but I am Ashari. Mm. And uh, saying you're Sufi is like triple Mushrik. <laughs> and, and I wasn't really a Sufi until now. I'm not really a Sufi. I, tasawwuf is an honor I cannot claim and an accusation I will not deny. Mm. But I mean, to, because to me, when you say Sufi, it means among the muhsineen, the maqam of ihsan. And mm. I cannot claim that. I cannot claim tazkiyah. Allah says, la tuzakku anfusakum. Mm. But I, I believe, so... Uh, the, the mere accusation surrounding you, oh, he does, he, he actually believes in the permissibility of Mawlid. Hmm. Oh, he reads some of the lines of the Buddha, which is all shirk. So at that time, we, we were really sort of, me and a couple of brothers that I was teaching, let's say, we were forbidden from even coming to the masajid sometimes because we're negative or shirky influence. Hmm. And I assure you, Sheikh, I mean, uh, if you can, you know better the uh, the Sidi Abdullah school of tasawwuf, Sayyid Hassan school of tasawwuf, uh, all the most of the Gomari school of tasawwuf is really a Salafi Sufi mm. sort of. It, it, it's really text based tasawwuf. It's moderate based tasawwuf. Um, so, but still, uh, uh, so it, it was very difficult at that time uh, to really be involved in the masajid. To be honest with you, and uh, definitely after they knew. Uh, which scholars you like, which direction, and by, by direction I mean that you are actually a practicing Shafi'i in general, or Hanafi, let's say, in general, 
you are Ash'ari or Maturidi, and you are a Junaidi Ghazali kind of Sufi, like mm. this, this was this meant that you need to be absolutely marginalized and every door needs to be shut before you and every conference needs to make sure that you are on their blacklist. If there's, mm. a, I, I hate to use the word blacklist, but uh, basically a non-inviting list and, and uh, calls were made around the country making sure that people like that, Shafi'i Ash'ari, Junaidi Ghazali Sufi, uh, should not be part. Only after 9-11, things eased up, and not totally either, as you know mm. very well. Uh, in, in, the rhetoric eased up, but, the, but sort of the direction has not necessarily eased, nor the control. Uh, so anyway, just to bring back, so I, 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 I spoke, I told the Sheikh, Sheikh, I don't, you know, what do I do? I really can't work with the, with the, the Sharia in the Masajid or so. He says, go do what's, what's, what's famous nowadays. In, in the world. I said computers, and that started coming up, something called the computer big thing, you know, in the early 1992, you know, uh, 91, there started coming, talking about this technology and maybe medicine. He says, okay, go study medicine. Why not? I said, I don't know anything about medicine. He says, just go study medicine. <laughs> so I went and, and I started and I did some undergrad work eventually, uh, uh, accumulated eventually in, an, in so a bachelor's degree. And eventually, I did a doctor of medicine degree as well. So, and what's your specialty, CD? I did. I when I went, I when I went to Saudi Arabia, I went and uh, I uh, I signed up for an anesthesia program, mm. and I did not finish it entirely. Uh, the dawah took the better half of me. Mm. So, but, so uh, yes, you you follow anesthesia. you follow the best of the Syrian Hanafi tradition. What isn't the uh, grandson of uh, Ibn Abidin? Uh, wasn't he also a physician? Yes, the Mufti, the, he was the uh, Mufti of Syria, Sheikh Muhammad Abu Lisa Abidin. He was a physician and he was also a great Hanafi scholar who wrote. Uh, his grandfather wrote a lot of, lot of things, but he was a Mufti, absolutely. MashaAllah. So you follow this tradition, MashaAllah. <laughs> well, you know, Sayyidina Imam Shafi'i radiallahu anhu is, is classified amongst the physicians. True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's and uh, true. He, he said, <laughs> allegedly, he says, I have looked at professions. And after knowing knowledge of the deen, I did not find anything more noble than medicine. Mm. So I claim to follow the madhab of Sayyidina Shafi'i, Muhammad bin Idris, Nasir al-Sunnah, radiyallahu anhu. Radiyallahu mashallah, mashallah. Inshallah. May Allah accept me as such. Amin, Ya Rab, Amin. So the 80s, you know, this is one of the things I wanted to, to really talk to you about. You know, you've been doing this for a long time. And I... I if you look back now, you know, 30, 40 years, what are some of the main differences that you see specifically amongst Islam in the West today versus like when you first came, you know, you're talking about the strong Salafi uh, current and, uh, you know, not even able to teach and masajid. Uh, if you can compare and contrast sort of the good and the bad, you know, in your mind, what, what, what are we doing right today and, and what are we still not getting right? Look, I, I think the American Muslim community is one of the greatest community, Muslim communities in the world. Uh, it, it has the potential to bridge the East and the West, for sure. And being in the United States, which I think is one of the, best, great country, the greatest countries in the world, honestly speaking, it allows us the opportunity to actually grow and to see the world from a, a different perspective. 
the 80s and the 90s, uh, especially the 90s that I, that I experienced in the West, and I saw that the turning in the East towards harsh Salafism, uh, uh, unforgiving, intolerant, takfiri Salafism, my problem. I don't have a problem with ilmi Salafism. Uh, and the ilmi Salafism is, all right, this is my knowledge. This is what I view. And, and all right, go ahead. You, you, whatever you like, you know, we may disagree. Uh, but I, I think the exclusion was extremely uh, damaging to the, because it deprived the young Muslim, young American Muslims, it deprived them from a, tradition that's 1,200 years rooted uh, to a school that's just, that's, that's maturing every two, three years on the tongues of its public popular speakers. Hmm. And every few years we have new views and we have, we are at the mercy of them maturing intellectually and academically with all the respect. Versus here, this is a school that's, this is a, the school of Al-Sunnah, meaning the traditional school. What I mean by Al-Sunnah here, I mean the, uh, the schools of Al-Ash'ariya uh, Al-Maturidiya and the Munazihah of Al-Hadith in Aqa'id. I mean the four documented schools of Fiqh, the Hanafi, the Maliki, the Shafi'i, and the Hanbali. And I mean the Junaidi Ghazali Tasawwuf. That's what I mean by the bulk of Al-Sunnah. And this is traditionally the bulk of Al-Sunnah. Uh, the, the Amer- I feel that the American Muslim community has been deprived of the wealth of that of those schools and still is, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't view uh, that while while post 9/11 the the uh, uh, and uh, the takfiri Salafism rhetoric has subsided largely. The anathematizing movement of Salafism has subsided largely, but there is no actual revision academically speaking, to how we got there. How did we get to declaring most of the Muslims non-Muslims mm-hmm. and, 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 and justifying verbal violence against them and, and eventually actual violence against them? Uh, no revision has been done, and therefore uh, it still is a ticking time bomb, I think. Uh, it's, so the rhetoric has subsided, obviously, post-9-11, largely in the West, due to lots of social pressure of of uh, erupting, you know, people taking verbal violence to actual violence. When you, when you strip the other of who's a Muslim who may not see the way you see, and you make them the enemy of the Sunnah and the enemy of, of Islam, well, what you're putting in, in they hate the Sunnah. And, and oftentimes these words were used. And uh, obviously no Muslim hates the Sunnah, no Muslim uh, every Muslim loves the Sunnah, no matter how they, where they stand. Uh, they may see it differently, but uh, anyway, um, that that actually weaponize weaponizes uh, these youth, and that's what happened. It's no longer the rhetoric is no longer there, like I said, uh, which is a good thing. That's a very positive thing. Uh, uh, now you see on lots of the. Uh, um, Salafi movement speakers, which is the most dominant, obviously, in the U.S. and in the West. You, st- you see they're talking about some of, they're bringing some of the issues of Tazkiyah. Al-Ghazali even is brought sometimes uh, all of a sudden to the theme. Uh, some uh, personal revisions. Uh, I was wrong saying this. I was wrong saying that. But there's no actually manhaji revision. 
there's no methodological revision, there's no comprehensive revision, and there's definitely no academic revision to how we got there. And no one is saying you need to wrong the figures uh, as figures, and that means belittle them. But mm -hmm. there, we understand the difference between wronging a figure personally, which is character assassination. That's not what's expected of them. But it's what's expected is to negotiate the, the methodology of how did we get to the takfir of the rest of the ummah and to the uh, uh, anathematization of the rest of the ummah and to the verbal violence and the denigration and the belittling and the insulting of scholarship that disagrees with you. Since when unity was uh, meant conformity from the beginning of our Islamic fiqh and even aqidah, we had the Ash'ari view, uh, we had the Maturidi view, both are from the Salaf, 333 Liman Maturidi, 324 Liman Ash'ari, uh, 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 the Munazziha of Ahlul Hadith, uh, right, like Imam Ibn al-Jawzi, 597, like Ibn Rajab, Imam Ibn al-Hafad Ibn Rajab, like Ibn Qudam al-Hanbali, all these. So since when did we have unity to mean conformity? And if you don't agree with me, or sorry, if you don't agree with my interpretation of the Quran or my interpretation of the Sunnah, you're actually against the Sunnah. Since when this was the Muslim Ummah? From the beginning of our school, Sidi, Imam Abu Hanifa, year 150, passed away, right? Imam, uh, Imam Malik came after that, 170. Uh, four, where you have Imam Shafi'i, 204, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, 241, and they all viewed things differently from a ahkam perspective. No one called each other and out, uh, and no one tried to marginalize the other. Maybe those who came later after them did. Same thing with other, the Harith al Muhasibi, Imam al Junaid al Baghdadi, and then eventually al Ghazali in 505. It, 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 Clashing of the mind was actually cultivated, but not clashing of the hearts. So I, I don't, I think looking at the 80s and the 90s, to be honest with you, sure, the conferences that were, that were glamorous and big and were, were putting a platform uh, of, of certain directions and dictating an agenda in general for, for the West, uh, Western Muslims in one way, um, that has, I don't think, has really changed much. Uh, the rhetoric has changed, and that's good. Uh, that allows people to venture out and explore on their own. And uh, we're all hopeful as well, uh, still, in a, a proper academic revision. Uh, and actually going back to the hadith, to the Quran, and then the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi when you first came and you, you sort of saw that, was it always your desire to form something like Medina or did this I, you know, project come later? No, see, this started, actually Medina started as Asna. And at that time, uh, we wanted to just mimic Isna, Ikna. Mm. So I figured Asna, Association of Ahl Sunnah in North America. Okay. Uh, so we started as Asna, okay. <laughs> actually. And I figured Asna has a meaning Isna does not have a meaning in the Arabic yeah. language. Asna yani a'la, Others, you know, I figured, no, no, again, I'm not trying to belittle any organization or anyone, love and, and, and dua for everyone. We, you know, malice, love towards all, malice towards none. That's our view. And, and again, uh, but we formed first Asna. But, you mm -hmm. know, hey, 
you know, grassroots <laughs> with no money, Sheikh. You know how it is. Uh, you know, running between cities here, uh, teaching two, three people in homes between L.A. and Chicago and uh, uh, and, and, and California and Colorado and, and et cetera and all that. Uh, building grassroots in a country like the U.S. is really not, not only costly, but it takes a lot of time. I remember we, uh, we were teaching the Tahawi Creed uh, in the late 90s, where I was, at that time, there was no computers. We were printing it. And at that time, people have not heard of the Tahawi Creed, mm. oftentimes, not in the so-called traditional circles, yeah. Not even in the Salafi circles, because they were taking some of the things that our Sheikh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Baz, rahmatullahi used to send with all these a bit narrow-minded stuff and a bit, uh, a bit sectarian, to over-sectarian tones. Uh, but uh, so we started teaching the Tahawi in the late 80s, very early 90s throughout. And people had, what do you mean? What is the Tahawi? I mean, you know, and, I, you know, so uh, until eventually people started actually they even wrote it, brought books about it. Well, we were teaching it for, I started teaching it here from the 89s, mm. uh, all through in homes, in circles where I was allowed, uh, wherever, wherever possible. And my focus was at that time, to be honest with you, is creed, is aqidah, more mm. than ahkam. And the reason is because of the takfir, of the anathematization, mm. the movement that was going on. And I wanted to establish people that takfir is wrong. And the best way to establish them is first on tawheed. Remember, because the takfir that was being happening and being leveled at the uh, tradition, uh, at Ahl-Sunnah, the majority of Ahl-Sunnah at that time, which is, again, the, the schools of Tasawwuf and, and the fiqh, traditional fiqh, the Junaidi Ghazali school of Tasawwuf, the four schools of fiqh and the three schools of Aqidah, the Ash'ari, the Maturidi, and Ahl-Hadith, the Munazi of Ahl-Hadith, the, the takfir or the anathematization that was leveled at them was fiqhi issues made into aqidah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right? I mean, because uh, uh, when they say you love the Prophet وسلم, until you worship him, w wait, wait. Love and worship are two different things. Hello. Uh, we need to understand what worship is from a creedal perspective, from a theological perspective, because love can never be mixed with worship. That's two these are two different fields now. Mm. Right. Or among the things that were leveled as well, you people are grave worshippers. Now, mm. I, I come with all the respect from a, I mean, from a Sufi family that was uh, that was rooted in the Qadir Rifai Shadali uh, schools, father through grandfather through grandfather, etc. I've never actually heard when I heard that. I said, all right, I, I'm trying to think, did anybody worship graves? No. Did anybody? And, and then even when I went to, they said, no, but in India, I went to India, I went to, all, I said, anybody worships graves? Is this grave God? No. How about the one in the grave? Do you worship the one in the grave? No. Yeah. So I still am looking for those who worship graves because mm. until now, I cannot find anyone who says God is grave, mm. nor that God resides in the grave. Those who believe that God resides in the creation are not. Define, they are they contradict Islam. So that's part of me at the beginning for the first maybe seven, eight years. No fiqh, no, no tazkiyah teaching or tasawwuf teaching. Maybe the first 10 years was all tawheed. The aqidah of Imam Tahawi, al-Jawhara by al-Laqani, obviously, al-Sanusiyya, al-Fiqh al-Akbar by Imam Abu Hanifa. This was the first 10 years of over and over and over and over 
teaching. And I was really sort of liberal in the sense, uh, in the sense of, look, you can take the Hanafi, the, the, meaning the Hanafi view, which is the Maturidi, the Shafi'i, the Maliki view, which is the Ash'ari, or the Hanbali view, which is like Imam Ibn al-Jawzi or Ibn Qudama or Ibn Rajab. Take whichever you like, but yeah. those are the schools of Ahl sunnah yeah. uh, Other than that, it's not really Ahl sunnah Sorry. Yeah. So Asna turned into Medina. Correct. Asna uh, turned into Medina. Yes. Sir. Okay. Mashallah. And um, uh, one of the things that that I like about about Medina is well, there's two things. One is, you know, when when I first uh, started talking to you about Medina, you're like, look, this is the Azhar curriculum, and that's and and for me, that's what I do. When when people say, oh, we like what you say or this, or I said, look, what I'm what I'm teaching, this is the Azhar way. The Azhar way is basically like, look, Islam is this big, and if I can find anything in Islam that that works for what you're doing, that's I'm going to give you that and empower you, even if I don't necessarily follow that specific, you know, opinion or that specific school. Because, you know, as you said, it's really about love. And I found, you know, 10 times out of 10, that works. You know, that everyone res resonates. So you told me, look, this is about the Azhar curriculum, obviously in English. Uh, and uh, you leverage uh, technology, which I appreciate uh, tremendously. Because actually, when I first started teaching, uh, it was right before COVID. When I came down to Atlanta for the first time to teach uh, my first time with you. Uh, and your students, it, it was subhanAllah, it was uh, February of uh, right before the pandemic and the, and the quarantine. But then throughout the quarantine, I, I taught even more Medina students. I was teaching students in Malaysia and India and Pakistan and God knows where. Uh, sometimes I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night to do the teaching because of the time zone. But, you know, all of these bright faces. So I, I appreciate that you've leveraged uh, technology. Um, so if you can speak to us, uh, Sidi, a little bit about, you know, the size of Medina student-wise, uh, what, and, and, and what are your goals, let's say, for the next few years? So people listening to this, inshallah, I want to encourage people to either sign up, whether they be part-time students or if they're serious, to do the full-time program. Like you said, Sidi, every book that we teach at Medina is part of the, the Azhar curriculum. If you remember... Uh, just recently, like a year ago or so, Al-Azhar came with the Mosu'at Kutub or the entire encyclopedias that Al-Azhar recognizes. Yes. And I make sure that no book is taught except the mainstream traditional views. Like you said, I may have some views uh, on some issues, uh, let's say, such as, you know, that... Yeah, uh, such as uh, the stand of Sayyid Ahmed al-Siddiq on uh, the praying behind radio, let's say, yeah. which does not necessarily uh, follow in line with the Shafi'i view. Yeah. I don't teach that. We, we, because uh, we need to teach that. That's what our teachers told us. You teach that which is uh, uncontested and authentic. That's so as an Adam. Yeah, it has to be number one, authentic. Number two, uncontested. Yeah. Because you don't want to get the beginner students in the areas of differences and all that scholarly differences. Al-Khilaf, Al-Khilaf Al-Ali is for its advanced students. So the idea is to ground people first, number one, in the U.S. Because we started getting, in the U.S., you know well, the reason for Medina, we started importing lots of teachers from outside. And obviously in the US, uh, people come from different walks and all that. Uh, we thought it's taking the imams from outside 
10, 20 years to, to sort of uh, to, to, to fudge the gap with the generation. We want to have home, homegrown American Muslims who know their faith without having to go outside because they can, they can, many, they can um, maneuver better. They can uh, uh, manifest their faith better. They, they're Americans and they're Muslims. And that combination is very important. Uh, I also wanted to be, uh, I wanted to have a mainstream, what I call mainstream Sunni view, again, which means the three schools of, of uh, creed that we've mentioned, the four schools of fiqh and the Junaidi Ghazali Tasawwuf. I, I wanted that to be present as such unapologetically, sure. with all the respect, just absolutely unapologetically. I don't need to apologize about following uh, the Maturi, the Ash'ari, or the the Munazziha of the Hanabila's views. I don't need to apologize about following the Shafi'i or Abu Hanifa or Malik or Ahmed. I don't, I don't need to apologize about uh, being uh, uh, participating to the Junaidi Ghazali, the Harith al-Muhasibi kind of schools in Tezkiyah. There's nothing to be apologizing about. Uh, and, and I'm not saying any of them is infallible. I am saying the Quran and the Sunnah is above all. But I'm saying these are scientific methodologies that are credible, valid, and authentic to a large extent. And that's where, so th that's the whole point of Medina. Medina is not, uh, how do I say, I wanted to also make it uh, uh, to be not indoctrinating, but empowering. And that's why you may have noticed yourself that when we teach Tahawiyah, I actually, let's say, we list the, the Hanafi views, the Shafi'i view, in and also the Hanbali views, we teach Ibn al-Jawzi's views right there along with the books. And those are the schools of Ahl-Sunnah. We don't tell people you need to follow this, you need to follow that. In our fiqh standard, in our tazkiyah, we teach tazkiyah rather than turuqism. Mm. So tazkiyah means the concept of ihsan. We do not enforce, promote, or even solicit in any way for someone to be part of, let's say, a specific school of Tazkiyah. Uh, so Turukism is not really the focus at all, nor have we ever offered that to any student. But we do emphasize that Ihsan is part and parcel of their, uh, of their upbringing, uh, academically speaking. So I like to think of it as a place where we encourage the clash of minds. That's why we've had students really from different backgrounds, to be honest with you, knowing uh, uh, that Medina has a, uh, this is an Ash'ari Sufi uh, leaning mm. school, though we never really say that. But again, sometimes you're defined by what others say. And it's always the intellectual balanced Muslim, they look for themselves and they ask before making a judgment. Uh, so we don't indoctrinate, but we empower. That's what I would rather make it. And uh, that's where Medina is. Medina, alhamdulillah, today is an accredited university with an accredited bachelor's and master's degree program in South Africa. Um, and uh, we are present, as you know, in the U.S. in two locations, two campuses, and we're about to, uh, you know, embark on the third, inshallah. Uh, we're also present in the UK for a while now. Uh, we're present in Malaysia as well, and we offer courses there. And we're about to be also present in another country, inshallah, very, very soon. But I leave that for later. Inshallah. So, Sidi, 
a lot of times people listen to you and, and they get very excited and I want to learn and I want to study. And uh, I was uh, not too long ago, we were at a gathering together in, in Cairo. And I think somebody asked you this question and you, you gave a very, uh, what's the right word? You gave a very raw, you know, tough love answer. You know, you said, look, if you're not spending, you know, X number of hours per day doing all of these things that don't even think about it. And I really appreciated when you said that because I, I, I was reflecting. I was like, you know what? The Sheikh has a point. Like, what am I doing? You know, how, how's my review? And, and earlier you talked about the PhD being really just a, a license to begin, not, not a license to end. Um, uh, so I, I want to ask you, you know, now publicly as we record this for that same type of advice, you know, for people listening that might get excited. Yeah, I want to study and, and, and I want to learn the Sharia and I want to learn the Deen, as, as we say in English. Give us a little bit of a, of a real flavor. What does that actually mean? You know, what, what, what kind of hours are you putting in? What kind of things do you need to do and memorize to be able to do this? Look, as you know, Sidi, very well, uh, the shiuch have always said that ilm is a gift that Allah gives. So the first thing is, You have to turn yourself to Allah and say, Ya Allah, teach me and or honor me with knowledge. Because it really is from him, ultimately. You, you can go to all the doors, but if Allah does not open for you, you're never going to learn. So that's the most important thing. And I remember, uh, again, if I don't want to take, take, take you off topic, nor is it self-praise in any way. <laughs> Allah forgive me, I'm a sinful man. But my father sent me to one of, the, to one of my uh, Rifai sheikhs, Allah have mercy on him in Syria. And he told me to go learn from him, learn Quran and other things from him. And, uh, and uh, when I went to learn, he, he, I said, I, because I want to be a scholar. He says, go back. You're, it's a wrong reason why you want to learn, son. Uh, right? And at the beginning, you know, you're, you're in awe of the scholars, of encyclopedic scholars at that time, right? My time, encyclopedic scholars like the Umaris, like others. Whoa. Or when you read Al-Kawthari stuff, you like... Oh, what is this man? You know, yeah. <laughs> who are these people? You know, how, how can they still exist like that? Um, so uh, you're amazed by that. But then the scholars, the shiuk, have a way of trying to tune you in. Uh, the figures are not really the, the, the role model that you're looking at. The Prophet ﷺ, and you have to ask Allah for knowledge every day when you're learning. So I want to direct that first. Uh, right? So the tawajjuh is really important. And then hard work with al jamia uh, that Sidi Sheikh Abdullah did. Uh, I have a copy of Sidi Sheikh Abdullah, it's not published, uh, where he judged a uh, few, maybe, I don't remember, a, thousand, a few hundreds at least of a hadith, a few thousand, sorry, I apologize, of a hadith on al jamia uh, and I tried to spend now post, post the fact after Sidi Abdullah, trying to spend time on figuring out how did the Sheikh arrive at saying this hadith is da'if and this hadith is sahih because it was like that sahih, da'if, sahih, da'if, sahih, da'if, etc. <laughs> and sometimes it took me, Sheikh, not just one day, and, and one day meaning six, seven hours, it took me three, four, five days, six days, seven days. To get to the bottom of it and sometimes I never got to the bottom of it <laughs> um, so it's sort of having the 
the mental toughness, the altitude and the aptitude and the attitude to sit before and be humbled by uh, the knowledge and then prepare yourself for the scholars. Because scholars nowadays, and our shiuch did not have all the time. I used to travel. I remember I traveled to Morocco. Wallahi al-Azim, still, I still remember now. I didn't have much money. I mean, I, I still, alhamdulillah. Uh, but I, I, you know, I was a student. I, bear, I worked part-time just to survive in the late 80s, early 90s. Traveling to Morocco at that time, you know, $1,200 or so, that is a huge expense. Yeah. But I spoke to the sheikh on on Saturday on Thursday, and he said, "We, I'd like to see you." You know, I, I got a hold of him. He said, "I'd like to see you." I hung up the phone on Thursday. I was there. I took the flight Thursday evening. I was there Friday evening. I saw him Saturday morning. I was at his doorstep. Inshallah. And he had only two. I could only spend a few hours in the two days, and then I had to come back. Mm-hmm. I had to come back to work, and he doesn't have. The shiuk, you know, they were older. They didn't have all the time. If you saw them a couple of hours, that's a win. In those couple of hours, I had 300 questions that I I spent thousands of hours already doing the research for. Mm. So that few minutes guidance, Mm. that that equaled maybe 300 hours of work. And, and either summarized it or gave it a direction. That's the beauty of the shiuk, CD, and you know that very well. Mm-hmm. You have to do the legwork. It, yeah. it, they cannot give you, there's no time to give you the ABCs. But if you have done the, the, the legwork, the fine tuning or the direction they give you, sometimes I'm totally off in a totally different direction. And he o- opens your eye to, but you haven't considered this dimension of the hadith or mm-hmm. this narrator's this issue here. Whoa, it all opens up. And this is what, what the keys to scholarship, in my view. MashaAllah. I'm so happy you said that. I, I've, from the early days, I've always had a special notebook where I write my questions. And I hate speaking to any of my teachers off the cuff. I, I always want to make sure that, okay, I, I really need to ask this question, i.e. I couldn't find the answer because I don't want to be the lazy student. And he says, you know, oh, this isn't, you know, I don't know. Uh, and Omar, I was like, oh, you know, and I find it. And I, I realized I just wasted those five minutes with the sheikh. Um, and, uh, you know, putting in the time, I remember there would be times when, when Sheikh Ali became the mufti uh, in the very early and it was still the if that was kind of disorganized. I remember many times I would be in the lobby four five, six hours just to see him. Four five, six hours, that's a work day. That's the whole day. I mean, mm-hmm. sitting there in the heat, just 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 waiting and, um, and you might get an answer to one question for two min- one minute. Yeah, but you know what? I'll never forget the answer to that question because I, I had to wait five, six hours to, to ask and you. To- and you had to prepare before for a few days to yeah. read all around the subject because it, 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 I felt always stupid. And I'm sure, I'm sorry, you know, you may have felt this way. I don't mean to say that the word to you and stuff. No, no, of course. No, I've, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and he tells you, well, you, you, ha- you mean you haven't looked up the other the, the, the issue on this and this? Yeah. I had to come prepared to almost like, I, I know almost everything that's been written now, but there's something you know I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I've done a PhD on this actual issue through my research, but I, I'm stuck. Fallon, I'm yes. stuck. I just don't know the answer. So, uh, and that's the hymn, you know, I ask Allah Ta'ala to give us that, uh, to give us that hymn. Sometimes I wish I could share the, the joy of, of studying with people, you know, the, the, 
the the feeling that you get when you when you learn something or you as you said sit at the the, the feet of your mashayikh and and benefit from them uh, I, I notice a lot of students they waste the opportunity they have with teachers um, and uh, I think part of the pro- in my opinion part of the problem is the celebrity status I think that some some mashayikh enjoy and uh, you you sort of are are awestruck you know starstruck when you when you sit with people that are famous and are on TV all the time. Uh, and, and you 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 lose the opportunity to ask those right questions. So that's, uh, mashallah, that's great advice. Um, uh, sorry, when you were saying this thing about Sidi Ahmed, it, the the connection cut a little bit. Are, are you saying this is a manuscript book? About Sidi Abdullah. Uh, uh, Sidi yes, Abdullah. It's, yes, it's it's a yeah, it's not published. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to publish it, mashallah? Because it's incomplete, Sidi. So it's it's not. And I who can fill the shoes? I had sent it to Sidi. I spoke to Sidi uh, uh, Abdul Aziz. I, I either Sidi Abdul Aziz or Sidi Hassan, Sidi Ibrahim, Sidi Abdul Tlibi. They all apologized. They said we cannot fill these shoes. Sorry. <laughs> and and, and I, I still have a letter from either Sidi Abdullah Tlibi saying that this is Adamal Shaq. It's 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 a burdensome task uh, to try to fill these shoes. So you know. So no. And just to say, you're, you're right. And, but, you know, the beauty of, of the scholars, again, we need to differentiate, like you mentioned, from necessarily from celebrity preaching versus scholarship. Scholarship is different than preachers and activists. And scholarship means someone who is a specialized person in a knowledge or in a multidisciplines. Nobody knows everything. Well, scholarship, I view it to be rare versus uh, public speaking, preaching, uh, activism, that's plenty. So, and oftentimes uh, people make, confuse these two things. Uh, when someone says he's a alim, I said, in what? Right? In, yeah. in usul? Is he an usuli? Uh, in hadith? In tafsir? In fiqh? And which fiqh? Because it's impossible to be a faqih, a alim in all four or, or more school. So I, I think sometimes these reductionist and superficial views of what the word use the, the using the word scholar is really is really a, a, a very elastic at best. So that's also important uh, obviously today. Allah. Sheikh uh, I I know you you're, you're busy man uh, and I want to thank you for the time. I want to ask you if you if you would like to leave us with any well actually I want to ask advice for myself. Okay. I, I'm asking you for your nasiha, just in general. What's the first thing that pops to, to mind? A hadith, uh, uh, a uh, just general advice. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The best that comes to my mind is what Allah says: Have be conscientious of Allah. For me, I'm saying, I'm not for you, astaghfirullah. But for myself, having taqwa of Allah, being conscientious of Allah. Eventually, we're all going to Allah Azza wa Jal. None of us is here to stay. Knowledge and what we do in life is means eventually either for us or or maybe against us in the uh, in the uh, eventual court or in day of accountability. We're here for a short time. Uh, let's make the best out of it. The best uh, knowledge is uh, led by love and rahma. That's why Allah says, "Ar-Rahman allam al-Quran." Ar-Rahman in the name of Allah is the name of Allah that encompasses the loving, the all-merciful, the all-compassionate. He says, Taught the Qur'an. 
and therefore rahma and love and mercy uh, and a higher level appealing to the best in us that is the imam of ilm a ilm with no imam is a misled ilm is wrong ilm is information is data collection is not ilm so i think nasiha for myself and all if our knowledge that we think is dini knowledge does not have an imam which is rahma and love then that knowledge is no good Mashallah, uh, perfect, perfect uh, note to end on. Thank you very much, uh, Sheikh Muhammad, for your time and, and for your advice. And you're always generous with your time towards me. And uh, I'm, I'm always humbled. I know you're extremely busy and you have a million things going on. And uh, we didn't get into those. We only got into one or two of those million things. So maybe next time we can do a part two or a part three even, and we can talk about some of those other things. But thank you so much for your time. Um, and I look forward to, to seeing you soon, inshallah. Honored and humbled, Sidi, by your presence always and, uh, and by your contribution. May Allah bless you and always grant you the best of success. And we're always learning from you. Thank you so much. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. One more thing before you tune out. To help me stay focused and manage all the things I'm doing, I put together a weekly email called Friday Ruminations that highlights what I'm reading, working on, and thinking in four focus areas. Happiness, entrepreneurship, books, and Islam. If you'd like to receive these emails, which are 100% free, please go to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday to sign up. (laughs) 